reading is from the book of John, 18, 28 through 38. <clears throat> John 18, 28 through 38. They led Jesus, therefore, from Caiaphas into the praetorium, and it was early, and they themselves did not enter into the praetorium in order that they might be defiled, but might eat the Passover. Pilate, therefore, went out to them and said, What accusation do you bring against this man? They answered and said to him, If this man were not an evildoer, we would not have delivered him to you. Pilate, therefore, said to them, Take him yourselves and judge him according to your law. The Jews said to him, We are not permitted to put anyone to death, that the word of Jesus might be fulfilled, which he spoke, signifying by what kind of death he was about to die. Pilate, therefore, entered again into the praetorium and summoned Jesus and said to him, Are you the king of the Jews? Jesus answered, Are you saying this on your own initiative, or did others tell you about me? Pilate answered, I am not a Jew, am I? Your own nation and the chief priests delivered you up to me. What have you done? Jesus answered, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, then my servants would be fighting that I might not be delivered up to the Jews. But as it is, my kingdom is not of this realm. Pilate therefore said to him, So you are a king. Jesus answered, You say correctly that I am a king. For this I have been born, and for this I have come into the world, to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. Pilate said to him, What is truth? Good morning, church family. So good to see you all again today. Great to be in the house of the Lord as always. And thank you, Phil and team, for the music. That was beautiful. The church was alive and sung this morning. And I don't know if it's just where we were sitting today or what, but just hearing everybody's voices coming through, that was a uh, glorious thing. And with the passage that Bill was just reading, I don't know about you guys, does anybody else ever wish you had a time machine? Wouldn't that be neat to go back in time and to be around at the time when our Lord and Savior Jesus walked the earth and to witness some of that stuff? Uh, that part, his false arrest and crucifixion, of course, would have been sickening and so difficult to have been there for knowing, especially what we know now. But to have seen him, to be there to hear his sermons, to be there to witness the things that he did and said. You know, every, I don't know about you guys, but every once in a while I stop and just think about it. It's like, wow, would that have been neat or what? I'm hoping as maybe somehow we get a glimpse of that when we get to heaven 
And I think about this moment when Jesus was stood before Pilate and just, uh, just the tension and Pilate's response, you know, what is truth? And we're going to talk a little bit about truth today. And uh, for those of you that were hoping that I would do a sequel of last week's sermon, <clears throat> you're out of luck. Sorry, Bert Johnson. Bert suggested that maybe, you know, I could just talk again every week about how I messed up over the course of the prior week. Uh, but I decided I'd pass on that. Thank you very much for the suggestion, though. And I thought we'd do something just a little bit differently today. And if you missed last week, you can always go online and listen to the podcast. Uh, but yeah, hoping to not repeat that one anytime soon. Uh, instead, I was inspired uh, about a month or so ago by something that my daughter Sophia sent to me. She emailed me a link of a video uh, that was about the topic of basically Christianity and intolerance. And I was kind of challenged by that a little bit. It was kind of a short video. I went back and I watched it again. And I thought that would be a good topic to dig a little bit deeper into. And, you know, the argument that some people have is that, well, Christianity is an intolerant religion, some people will say. And I guess my question for you today is, how, would you how do you respond to that? Are you prepared to respond to that? And if we go through and we take a look at some of the misgivings that some people claim to have about Christianity, I thought it would be beneficial for us to go through and maybe take a look at them, uh, some of those top three hot buttons, as it seems to be. And I think one thing that we first need to ask ourselves anytime we tackle a question like that is, well, is the question true as well? Because a lot of times people will kind of slant a discussion and we can find ourselves trapped if people ask us a question that is in itself not true as well, and we're going to get into that uh, also. So, if we take a look, we're going to do kind of like, and I know I don't need to point that back there, I'll point it anywhere, but in any event, if we kind of do like what we did last week when we were talking a little bit about uh, hypocrisy and discipline, I thought it would be nice to go ahead and just get started by taking a look at the definition of intolerance. And that's uh, defined, uh, thanks to the internet, <clears throat> The easy, easy uh, dictionary there, unwillingness to accept views, beliefs, or behavior that's different or that differs from one's own. Uh, and so that's what we're going to take a look at. And it, wasn't, it was kind of interesting, shortly after seeing that video that Sophia sent to me, I uh, was at the health club and I saw somebody's bumper sticker in the parking lot. I hope this isn't anybody's car here. Uh, I, took a, I took a pass through the parking lot when I first got here, but there weren't very many cars here yet at that point in time, so if this is your car, I apologize. Uh, but this is a bumper sticker that I saw, Tolerance. And, you know, as you can tell kind of by looking at it there, it's a little bit of a takeoff of the Coexist bumper sticker, which uh, a year or so ago I'd done a series on modern-day myths and bumper sticker theology. And so today's uh, episode, I guess, is Modern Day Myths and Bumper Sticker Theology, Part 3, uh, or the sequel. And I went online to get an explanation of this uh, to see, because there's a lot, lot in here, obviously. If we go back, you know, at the beginning, you know, we can see that that's a Christian cross right there, right out of the gate. And so I went to look up uh, what all that goes into this uh, bumper sticker here, and the Tolerance Believe in It bumper sticker is a variation on the Coexist design and includes a Christian cross, a peace sign, a Native American Indian pipe, the male and female symbols, 
Kakapali. I had to look that one up. Evidently, that's a fertility deity. I was not familiar with that one. Uh, the Jewish star, the, I don't know how to pronounce that. Baha'i, thank you. Nine-pointed star, Islamic star and crescent, and Einstein's formula, E equals MC squared. So, for good measure, I guess they had to throw that in there. So, uh, so we're going to pick up a little bit on that today, and Derek kindly did our artwork for us. And here he has a vehicle, you know, what is truth? Uh, to quote Pilate there. And here we have a vehicle on the left with the bumper or license plate says only Jesus. And then the car right next to it is tolerance. Believe in it. And so, you know, intolerant of what? And uh, some of the reasons why somebody who is not a Christian might say that Christians are intolerant. I thought I'd just touch upon three again of what are some of the main hot buttons. Uh, but some people might say that Christianity is intolerant uh, to women's rights. And for example, somebody could say it is wrong to dictate what a woman can and cannot do with her body by reducing or eliminating access to abortion. This is a woman's health and reproductive right. Christians are intolerant of other people's views and should not impose their own personal religious beliefs on others. So how do we respond to that? Uh, secondly, another hot topic of today is that Christianity is intolerant to homosexuality. Somebody might say, it is inconsiderate and unloving to say that marriage should only be between a man and a woman. Christians are intolerant of other people's feelings and should not impose, again, their own personal religious beliefs on others. So that's hot button number two. And lastly, uh, somebody might say that Christianity is arrogant to think that it is the only way to God. Uh, somebody could say it is offensive to say that Jesus is the only way to God. Christians are arrogant and intolerant of other religions to think such a thing. And there's a quote, I don't know how many of you in here have read uh, The Case for Faith by Lee Strobel, uh, but it's a real good book that kind of goes into some hot topics and uh, discussion points uh, with some of the misgivings that people might have about Christianity. But at the beginning of one of the chapters is a quote by uh, uh, Rabbi Shmuley Botich. I'm not sure if I pronounced that right, but that's the way it's spelled. Uh, and he said, I am absolutely against any religion that says that one faith is superior to another. I don't see how that is different than spiritual racism. It's a way of saying that we are closer to God than you, and that's what leads to hatred. I might add that this same line of thinking then holds that atheists are also arrogant and intolerant as well, as they claim there is no God. Um, and that's one thing with this whole tolerance movement, and one of the things that that quote that I just read uh, right here, he says that, hey, that leads to hatred. You know, if you are not tolerant of these things, society these days now labels you as a hater. So how does it feel to be classified as a hater, ladies and gentlemen? Uh, not too good. Uh, case in point, uh, we, uh, one of the ministries we're uh, thankful to be able to support is something called uh, Liberty Council. And that font's a little bit small. I'm going to go ahead and read to you just a little bit of, about this organization and what they do. Uh, but Liberty Council is a Christian ministry that proclaims, advocates, supports, advance, and advances, and defends the good news that God in the person of Jesus Christ 
paid the penalty for our sins and offers forgiveness and eternal life to all who accept him as Lord and Savior. Every ministry and project of Liberty Council centers around and is based upon this good news, which is also referred to as the gospel. And then further on from their website, Liberty Council, and I've spelled that wrong on that one, is an international litigation, education, and policy ministry. Uh, they're well, perhaps somewhat well known for they represented the Christian baker who refused to bake a cake for a same-sex couple that wanted to get married, and they just had the successful ruling from the Supreme Court just within the past couple of weeks. There's a familiar face I haven't seen for a while in the back. <laughs> uh, and so anyway, that's a little bit about Liberty Council. Well, guess what? They've been kind of thrown into the thick of things here because there is an organization uh, called the Southern Poverty Law Center that is attempting to categorize uh, Liberty Council and other organizations as hate groups. Uh, Liberty Council joined a coalition of 47 other conservative, and this is just recent, this is June 21st, so uh, three days ago, uh, Liberty Council joined a coalition of 47 other conservative leaders and organizations in releasing an open letter to government agencies, news organizations, corporations, and social media platforms to sever their ties with the Southern Poverty Law Center and its ongoing effort to defame and slander mainstream conservative organizations. The SPLC grossly misrepresents and labels Liberty Council and other pro-family and conservative organizations as so-called hate groups. So again, uh, this attack is beyond just uh, us being viewed as intolerant. It's gone, take, been taken a step further to where now we're said, oh, we're haters. Now we're called haters. And so we need to be uh, prepared to respond to these types of claims. And when we take a look at that, I think we really need to separate and look at separately Christianity versus the Christian. So we have the faith, and then we have the followers of the faith. And so let's take a look at what Christianity says. And I'm just going to touch upon this briefly. You know, this isn't rocket science, and I think most of you in this room are familiar with these passages. But what if we got started taking a look at uh, woman's rights and abortion? You know, you need to go no further than Genesis chapter 1, verse 27. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. So we acknowledge as God as creator of life and as the giver of life. Uh, Psalm 139.13, for you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. You know, life starts upon conception. Uh, Exodus 20.13, you shall not murder. Uh, that's pretty straightforward. And, uh, you know, I got to thinking about this one. And I've never tried this in a discussion with anybody, and you need to be careful in discussions with people as to not offend, and we're going to talk a little bit more about that in a moment when we get to talking about our role as followers of Christ. But you know, if we're engaged in discussion with somebody that believes that, oh, it's a woman's right to abortion, it would be interesting to talk to them, discuss it with them. Number one, we need to be open to discussion, uh, but to find out, you know, is there a point at which they think it isn't okay? And I know that this is, you know, painful to talk about and sickening to talk about. But, you know, hey, what if somebody's, you know, three months pregnant, four months pregnant, five months pregnant? What if they're eight and a half months pregnant? What if they're nine months pregnant? Well, what, what do you think then? You know, does that change your view on abortion? It would be interesting to engage somebody perhaps in that discussion and find out, well, where do you draw the line? 
where do you draw the line? I mean, what is their standard and where is it that they're attempting to draw the line? And everybody's going to draw the line probably somewhere else that's not a Christ follower and doesn't acknowledge and accept that God is the giver of life and he's the only one that should take it. Uh, but hopefully people can come to understand that an embryo is a living person, uh, despite not yet being fully formed. And guess what? They start forming really early. And so anyway, that's uh, just taking a look at our faith and what our faith in Christianity tells us and teaches us about that topic. Uh, you know, what about the rights of the unborn, of course? Well, what about uh, hot button number two and homosexuality? And there's just a ton of verses in the Bible, of course, that address this and God's view on it. Uh, but I thought I'd just take a look at Romans chapter 1, verses 26 through 27, and also just pick up at the end at 32. If you're not familiar with uh, Romans chapter 1 and what all it says, it would be good to read that entire chapter, of course. But in the interest of time, I thought we'd just pick up a portion of it here today. And uh, because of this, this being God, uh, mankind turning away from God, because of this, God gave them over to shameful lust. Even their women exchanged natural relations for unnatural ones. In the same way, the men also abandoned natural relations with women and were inflamed with lust for one another. Men committed indecent acts with other men and received in themselves the due penalty for their perversion. For scripture is clearly black and white on that topic as well. Uh, next up, how about Christianity, i.e. Christ, being the only way to God? And again, scripture is very clear on that. Uh, you know what, I left off some of that. Or maybe that was, uh, da, da, da. okay, I missed some of that from Romans. Although they know, back to the homosexuality topic for a moment, Although they know God's righteous decree that those who do such things deserve death, they not only continue to do these very things, but also approve of those who practice them. That's, there's the tolerance movement for you. You know, people are approving of things that shouldn't be done in the name of tolerance. And next, as far as Christianity and Christ being the only way to God, we need to go no further than John 3.16. I think we all know that one. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, uh, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. And John 14, 6, and it's amazing what a stumbling block this is for so many people. I think I've shared a couple of years ago, uh, back having a lunch with a friend who claimed to believe in the Bible, claimed to believe the Bible was true. And then when we got to the topic of John 14, 6, well, how about when Jesus says, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And uh, my friend who I was having lunch with said, oh, no, no, I, I don't believe that one. I don't believe that one. It's like, <laughs> really? I mean, how, can, how do you decide? You're kind of like cherry picking what you're going to decide to believe is truth. And I'm not going to go in the argument on so much as far as why, you know, Christ is the only way. Uh, I could save that for another day, but you know we know that Christianity is the only faith that offers salvation, offers a savior. Everything else is you know savior self type type religion. And guess what? We've got a we've got a living Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, as documented and known from His resurrection, which is uh, not something you can say about Muhammad or anybody else. And so Scripture is clearly black and white on these issues. Uh, and this is what we know is, our, this is truth. This is our truth. And this is our guidebook for living. 
And Ravi Zacharias, uh, from that book, again, The Case for Faith by Lee Strobel, uh, I thought he had a great quote in that, in that truth excludes that which is contrary. To deny the exclusive nature of truth is to make a truth claim. And is that person then not arrogant too? <laughs> well put. He's a very intellectual guy. Sometimes I got to reread some of the things. That's why I put it up here so we can chew on it a little bit and reread it a couple of times. Uh, that's the, what he calls the boomerang, the boomerang effect that the condemner often doesn't pause to consider. It's like, you know, hey, denying somebody else's beliefs, you know, uh, puts them in that same boat and uh, makes them hypocrites to what they're themselves teaching. Well, how about a softer way to look at it? So, you know, yeah, we're looking at this. This is our guidebook to life. This is truth as we know it. Uh, so somebody could conceivably say that, oh, Christianity is intolerant. But here's another way to look at it. You know, hey, Christianity, bottom line, with regards to the abortion topic, is Christian line, Christianity views life as sacred. We view life as being God-given. God creates life. It is sacred. It is not ours to take it. Secondly, uh, and this, I got some help from Ravi Zacharias on this one as well in a video that I watched uh, when he was addressing an audience, but that Christianity views a person's sexuality as sacred as well. In the same way that we view a person's race and ethnicity as sacred and as God-given, you know, thus we are against racism. You know, we view a person's race and ethnicity, again, as being God-given, and so by virtue of it being God-given, that is sacred. And in the same, you know, this is how they were born, as made by God. In the same way, sexuality, too, is God-given, and thus is sacred and should not be violated. And you need to, you know, you can see how marriage, marriage is very sacred to God as well, we learn as we study the Bible. And as far as... Uh, Christianity's claims of exclusivity, that, hey, this is the way to God, you know, through, through our teachings. Uh, again, Ravi Zacharias was speaking about it, and that pretty much just about every other religion is the same way. They all claim exclusivity as far as the way to God. And what if we look just for a moment at Islam and Sharia law, and some of the things that uh, went online just saw a laundry list of what that has, and, uh, you know, what does that say about homosexuality, for example? Men having sex with each other should be punished, the Quran says, but it doesn't say how. The death penalty instead comes from the hadith or accounts of the sayings of the prophet Muhammad. So death penalty for homosexuality. Uh, criticizing how about uh, claiming Islam as being the only way and the right way. Criticizing or denying any part of the Quran is punishable by death. Well... That's fairly intolerant, I'd say. Uh, criticizing Muhammad or denying that he is a prophet is punishable by death. Women's rights, you want to talk about women's rights? Women have no rights in the Islam faith. I mean, this stuff's just terrible. Uh, a woman or girl who has been raped cannot testify in court against a rapist. The testimonies of four male witnesses are required to prove rape of a female. That's from the Quran. A woman or girl who alleges rape without producing four male witnesses is guilty of adultery. And guess what the punishment is for adultery? Death. Uh, that's a bad, vicious circle. Oh, and by the way, a man can beat his wife for insubordination also. So much for women's rights. 
I'd say it would be a good question to ask anybody expressing concerns in targeting Christianity and attacking Christianity specifically. Is fine. It would be a good question to ask them if their concerns and misgivings expands also to other religions as well. And if not, why not? Uh, have they really thought about these things? It might be interesting to inquire if they have ever read any of the Gospels. And if they have not read any of the Gospels, maybe they might like to go through one of them with you. Someone might point out that in the Bible, when you look at the Old Testament, that it does call for people to be put to death for certain things, right? You go back through and you look at that, and it's like, boy, somebody just takes that, and they can come back and attack us with that, right? And say, well, hey, how are you any different than Islam? The Bible says that people should be put to death for this and for that. And I went through and looked at some of the things. Pretty amazing what some of that stuff that's in there. And, you know, hey, we go through and read it sometimes, and we forget about it a little bit. But how do you counter that? What do you say to that if somebody were to challenge you on that? And what I would do is I would direct them to Christ. Uh, we are Christ followers as Christians, and so we subscribe and hold to his teachings and those of the New Testament. And not unlike John the Baptist, Jesus preached a baptism of repentance. said that he was doing the same thing as John the Baptist. And uh, he was not preaching that, oh, we should take all you sinners out and drag them out and stone you outside of the city wall. That is not what Jesus was saying. He was calling for people to repent and to turn from their sin. And so I think that would be our response. And after I was digging deeper and deeper into this topic and peeling the onion back and back and back, I got to thinking that I don't know that intolerance is the right word to apply to a faith. Because really a faith like we were talking about is that's uh, you know, faith, uh, intolerance again being unwillingness to accept views, beliefs, or behavior that differ from one's own. You know, a, a faith is a statement of beliefs that we hold to be true. You know, this is our absolute truth. So I don't know that intolerance is really something that would even apply to that because hey, this is our doctrine. Uh, this is our guidebook to life again. This is probably, you know, that whole term and thing of uh, the subject of intolerance, it probably more brings us to us as people and Christ followers. And so let's take a look now at intolerance from the standpoint of us as Christians. And I'm going to look to Ravi Zacharias again. Thank you, Ravi. And he said, uh, if truth is not undergirded by love that makes the possessor of that truth obnoxious, and the truth repulsive. And that's a problem that we've had. That's a problem that we've had. I'm going to say that again. If truth is not undergirded by love, it makes the possessor of that truth obnoxious and the truth repulsive. And I was reading something in preparation for today, uh, and I tried to look up this to document it and to fact check it. But I read that a GOP presidential candidate several years ago during all of the campaigning to try to get the nomination for the Republican Party for our last election said something to the effect, and this was when he was speaking to a Christian audience. So he's speaking to a conservative Christian audience. And he reportedly said something to the effect that only God-fearing people should be in government. And if someone is not God-fearing, and in government, they should be fired. And to which I'm sure the audience all went, you know, rah, 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 kind of thing. It was a political rally, right? And that's the kind of things that they do on that. And I totally understand his point. 
I totally understand his point. And I wanted to try to go, I tried to go back and see if I could find a transcript from it just to verify its authenticity. And unfortunately, I was not able to do so, so I don't know if this was a twisting of words or not. Uh, but what can happen in those types of environments is kind of people hop on a bandwagon and uh, some of the things that they might say, if not explained, can certainly come across as unloving and obnoxious and arrogant, uh, as we've taken a look at. And some of us might think, well, gee, I've never really attended I've never really attended a presidential rally, and I've never gotten on one of those things where we all do big cheers when they say stuff about the other guys. And you know, this is not about politics. This has nothing to do with politics. Uh, Derek spoke a look about this, about how we have a biblical worldview, and that's what guides our life. That's what guides our perception in life. Uh, but again, some of us, or most of us, probably have not attended you know, a, a political rally of, of that nature. But how about a closer to home example? Anybody go to the Franklin Graham event? Uh, we went to the Franklin Graham event, and I know uh, many of you did as well. And uh, I invited a guest, and uh, these are uh, she and her husband came, and they're, uh, uh, they don't have a personal relationship at this point in their life with uh, our Lord Jesus. And Mr. Graham said something along the lines of, you know, we need to get Christians on school boards and drive out the progressives. And everybody went rah, rah, rah again. And uh, I went back and I actually re-listened to it. On YouTube, you can go back and kind of catch that. And he did say something that kind of tempered his comments a little bit. Uh, guess what? My friend had served on the school board for 11 years. She had faithfully served on the school board for 11 years. Uh, <laughs> She was not real fond of Mr. Graham's comments. You know, that didn't go over real well. You know, this is somebody that dedicated 11 years of their life serving on the school board, doing everything she possibly could for the kids. And that's where, again, I wish that Mr. Graham maybe explained why is it important to have Christians on school boards and things like that. And if we aren't careful, if we aren't careful, we can fall into this holy huddle. So my point is be wary of the holy huddle. I had a friend that used to talk about the holy huddle. That's when all of us Christians get together and we speak in our own language and stuff like that without any regard whatsoever about the people that we're trying to reach and without regard to the fact that we are Christ ambassadors. We need to be willing to listen, think, and discuss. We really need to be open to having discussions, intelligent discussions with people about things and any misgivings that they might have about Christianity and Christians in general. And uh, I think, uh, I don't I mean, I'm as guilty as anybody. Even when I was going through here on my notes on one of these things, it's like, end of story, boom, that settles that. Wipe my hands clean and stuff. I was like, guess what? That's not the type of attitude that we need to be embracing. We need to be willing to engage and discuss rationally. So what sort of guidance does the Bible have for us as Christians with regards to the subject of tolerance? Well, how about Romans 3.23? For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We should have a spirit of humility. You know, yeah, we might view other people, oh, these people are sinners. It's like, yeah, well, guess what? So are we. So are we. How about Matthew 7.1? Do not judge or you too will be judged. I've done all the scripture for today, by the way, on the PowerPoint, just in the interest of time, so we will not need our Bibles. Uh, but Matthew 7, 1, do not judge or you too 
will be judged. So we need to be careful to not be judgmental of others. Uh, Romans 12, 18 through 21, that gets a, font gets a little small. I will read that for you as well. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. That's everyone, not just some people, not just the people we like and that we agree with and who hold to subscribe to our same beliefs. Do not take revenge, my friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge, I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. And there's other verses that say, blessed are the peacemakers. We're called to be peacemakers. We're called to live at peace with everyone. Next up, whoops, I hit the button on my laptop thinking that was going to change the PowerPoint slide. That didn't work. All it did is jump my pages uh, way off. Here we go. Sorry about that. Uh, next up, that worked much better. Proverbs 15.1, you know, we know this. A gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. Sometimes a gentle answer can be difficult if it's something that we are very passionate about. Uh, we need to resist the temptation to respond harshly and to respond gently. And last but not least here, 1 Peter 4.8, above all, love each other deeply because love covers over a multitude of sins. I've always loved that verse. You know, if we can just live according to that one verse, we'll be doing pretty darn well. We'll be doing pretty darn well. So as Christians... And this is, you know, so drilling down to the original question here. So then, are, are we to be tolerant, or are we to be intolerant? And I, I kind of came up with two answers. I don't have them on the PowerPoint there, but, you know, one way to look at it is as Christians, we need to be tolerant, though not approving, and not compromising our sacred values. So I suppose that's one way to look at it. Or, should we be intolerant? Yes, we need to be intolerant in that, hey, we need to hold to these absolute truths, but we need to do so with grace and a willingness to engage the dissenter, the person that holds to views different than our own. So you can decide how you, uh, uh, based on the evidence that we have here, whether you want to, which angle you want to take a look at it, but we know that the bottom line is we need to have humility in our discussions with others. Uh, on these topics, knowing that we ourselves, apart from Christ, are destined for hell. And, of course, someone who is against Christianity and Christians is then intolerant themselves. Of course, that's always good. I mean, that's easy to, well, let's get this out of the way first, maybe when you're having a discussion with somebody, if you can tell that to them without offending them in the process. You know, you could say, hey, this makes you a hypocrite, hypocrite. so am I. Again, you can go back and listen to last week's sermon if you want to know about that one. Uh, you say, join the club. So, so are we. Sinners saved by grace. Amen. Uh, last but not least here, we're going to wrap up, is I recently, when I was driving from home from work one day, caught just a little bit of an interview on KVIP with somebody by the name of Rosaria Butterfield. Anybody else happen to catch that? Anybody else here familiar with Rosaria? Yep, one, thank you, a couple. 
before she became a popular Christian author, she was a tenured professor at Syracuse University, a lesbian feminist fighting to advance the cause of LGBTQ equality, and an unlikely convert. And then in 1999, her life intersected with the gospel of Jesus Christ through a friend's radically ordinary hospitality. From hating Christians to becoming one, the transformation took place slowly and outside a church pew when the church came to her. And I listened on, uh, she has a website. It's like rosariabutterfield.org or .com or some such thing. You can just Google her name and you can find her website. And some friends of mine and I recently listened to a short podcast of her testimony. It was a little under 30 minutes long, and it was referred to as my train wreck conversion. <laughs> and we listened to that, and it was pretty interesting. She was talking about how she wrote an editorial for the local paper when the Promise Keepers were coming to Syracuse University. And she wrote an editorial, a letter to the editor, uh, prior to their arrival, explaining why the, you know, the university should have nothing to do with these people coming to Syracuse. And I think she thought that, oh, she said that she spent about, oh, 10 minutes of her valuable time to write it, sent it off, and figured it'd be just kind of a little tiny blob back in the corner of the paper, but I guess they gave her like a full page or some such thing. And uh, she got a lot of responses <laughs> to her editorial. Uh, apparently it was, uh, uh, really drew uh, a whole lot of feedback on that one. And she said she had two boxes. This is my hate mail here. So some letters she gets, hate mail. She had another box on her desk, this is my love mail. There's people that say, you go, sister, you know, or whatever, whatever it says. Some of the letters, boom, go in the love box. Well, she got this letter from a pastor by the name of Ken Smith, and she didn't know which box to put it in. She didn't know which box to put it in. Uh, and so she got, and basically he wanted to get together, he invited her to their home. And the Pastor Ken and his wife, Floyd, opened their doors to Rosaria and just witnessed to her, witnessed to her, witnessed to her, witnessed to her over the course of many, many meals and opened their doors to many, many others as well. And she referred to Ken as being disarming, disarming. And I thought that was a very interesting choice of words, disarming. And it's like I think sometimes when we get caught up and we feel passionate about a topic, I don't think we come across as disarming. Our pride can get in the way. Our thinking we know it all, that we got it all together, can get in the way. And so I guess that's my prayer for us, that we would be disarming and uh, quick to reach out to others that don't share our views and uh, following the example of Christ. And anything can happen, as we saw with Rosaria. Let's pray. Lord, I know that these are uh, subjects that uh, we feel very strongly about and that sometimes we may not exhibit your grace and your mercy that you have shown us to others in the discussions that we have. And Lord, I just pray for all of us that we'd all just be wary of our words. We know that our words can be like a fire that is difficult to control. Our tongue is like a fire that uh, can be unquenchable. So, Lord, may we be slow to speak and quick to listen, and may we be willing to engage 
others who currently don't know your truth, who have been blinded by the enemy. May our hearts be especially open and ready to receive them and to share your love with them and over time to share your truth. I love uh, what St. Francis Assisi said, you know, preach the gospel at all times and when necessary, use words. <laughs> May we just show them and demonstrate your love to them. And I uh, just pray that you'd use us in a special way for there's no greater honor in our lives than when you do that, Lord. May we honor you. In Jesus' name, amen.